We need to live in a deflationary world. Therefore, we need a currency which matches that world. So we're trying to push an inflationary currency story based on Keynes's wrong premises against a deflationary world that needs more efficiency, not more growth. Hello there. How are you all? You feeling good? It's nice and early here. Got to get my intro done for Danny before I head out to Miami. I've got a flight in a few hours. I'm heading out for the Grand Prix and then going to have a week off. My first week off in a year, in a crazy year, before we get going for the conference. Can't wait to see you all there. If you want to check out our event on Wednesday, I've got Lynn Alden, Jeff Snyder, Troy Cross, and Harry Suddock. We've got mining, we've got macro. If you want to get some tickets, head over to whatbitcoindid.com and click on WBD Live. Anyway, welcome to the What Bitcoin Did podcast, which is brought to you by Iris Energy, the largest NASDAQ-listed Bitcoin miner using 100% renewable energy. I'm your host, Peter McCormack, and today I've got Lawrence Lepard back on the show. Now, Lawrence came over to Bedford as part of the live show we recorded, and while he was over, we sat down, we got a one-on-one chat, and as ever, he was entertaining, he was informative. Now, Lawrence came straight from a gold conference in Europe for this one, and so we touched on that, and we touched on the role of Bitcoin versus gold in this highly inflationary world. So I hope you enjoy this. If you've got any questions about this or anything else, then hit me up. My email address is hello at whatbitcoindid.com. Uh, let me bring it so up. I'm, look, you know what I'm like. Yeah, I'm a, I'm, yeah, I'm a rocker metalhead. And, yeah, yeah, absolutely. So we're trying to make this part of the identity of the club. So they got to walk through that hallway? Yeah. But like, this is the music that plays as they're coming in. Like, all, all, There's a whole playlist. But wait a second. That's awesome. <laughs> it's like <laughs> full-on death metal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Awesome, man. But what you notice is when they turn up, they're like that with their Snapchat or Instagram. Yeah. Oh, I love it. It's very cool. I love it. That's, yeah. that's really cool. Yeah. So uh, so we tried to get Greg over as well. Oh, yeah. He couldn't do it. He yeah. couldn't do it. We yeah. wanted you. We wanted Greg. We wanted Jeff. We thought that'd be... Uh... Yeah, that would have been fun. That would have been fun. Yeah, it was, it was too bad Natalie couldn't make it too. She'd be great, but... Um, James is great. So yeah, it's it's all good. We'll, we'll get we'll get Greg over next year. Yeah. Um, me and Danny were saying that, yeah, you know, as we said to you before, <laughs> you're both such nice people, but you get you online, you're fucking savages. I know. I, know. I got I to gotta dial that back. My wife is all over me, man. Is she? Yeah, yeah. Is Jeff not? Uh, Jeff's not. Jeff's a nice guy. Jeff yeah. had a word with me about it. He was like, Pete, you need to just like let this go, man. Just, just let it go. What? Oh, just all the fighting and stuff. Yeah, because I was like, fuck you, fuck this, fuck yeah, that. Yeah, no, I, wait. Jeff's Zen, and, and and that's great. I mean, I, I can be Zen too, but um, I, I think, look, we're, we're we're pushing a movement here. We're, uh-huh. tr- we're trying to change the world, and you know, it takes you got to have a carrot and you got to have a stick. Foss and I are the stick. <laughs> <laughs> Jeff's the carrot. That's a good. We got shout. this great, lovely world we're going to. It's all going to be good. Okay, fine. But first, we're going to beat the fucking central bankers <laughs> to death, right? <laughs> I want to be standing over Jay Powell with a golf club just, you know, pounding on him. <laughs> That's the quote. That's the quote. <laughs> Are we taping this? Yeah. yeah we're oh, taping great. This. <laughs> Uh-oh. Are you, I'm listen, going to jail. <laughs> you listen, Powell. You listening. Well, listen, so you um, I was chatting on the way over, um, and do you prefer Larry? Yeah, go with yeah. Larry. You're my friend. Okay, and good, Lawrence good. is fine too. But yeah. Well, so, so Larry was telling me because he's just been to this gold conference. He's come straight from a gold conference yeah. to a Bitcoin co- mini Which conference. Which I know is sacrilege for you guys. But. Well, no, actually, it's not exactly. I've got some questions about gold because yeah. I'm thinking of buying some at the moment. Whoa. Yeah. I'll tell you the reason 
reason why. We made a show this week with Luke Woman. He's great, isn't he? I, Brilliant. Lo- I have so much respect for him. He's so good. Yeah. But he very casually just dropped in that, yeah, at some point soon, we're probably going to see high double-digit, maybe triple-digit inflation in Europe and the US. And I was like, huh? Yeah. I was like, no, that's what happens in Lebanon and Turkey yeah. and Argentina. Yeah. He's like, no, it has to happen. Yeah, he's right. Yeah. I agree. Yeah, well, the way he explained it, he said, well, we can do 10 to 20 for 10 years, yeah. or we can do 100 for three years and just shop, shop, shop and get through it. And I was like, huh? Yeah. Uh, what? And so uh, we did an interview with a guy a while back, and he said, diversify your portfolio. I'm way overcooked on Bitcoin, but I've got cash reserves. Sure. The problem is my cash in the bank's melting. So I was thinking, why don't I just hold my cash in gold? Yes. Because I don't want to hold it in Bitcoin because Bitcoin's volatile right. and choke point. Right. So I'll hold my cash in gold yes. with a small amount of cash in pounds and then my savings in Bitcoin. Yes. And I was gonna I was gonna ask you, is is that a sensible thing? I think it's a very sensible thing. I mean, the, the you know, the the negatives on gold are well known, right? It's it's very manipulated. We all know that. Um and and you know, holding your cash in gold, it's not necessarily an easy in or easy out. For the physical, which you know, the, so so there are two forms of gold, right? There's physical gold and there's paper gold, and then there's you know, some of the paper gold is actually legitimate. What, what do I mean by that? I mean that you can buy gold in an ETF form where I know and believe the ETF is good. Um, Sprott is the one, and they have something called PHYS, and they have something called PSLV. They actually have the underlying metal that they say they have, and I, I believe that because I know Eric Sprott. I know he's an honest man, and so. You know, I would I would advise you to use that because you can buy it with no spread or no premium. If you say, you know, okay, Larry, I want to buy some gold or some silver coins, and there's a there's a use case for those. The use case for those is, you know, the internet's down and you're going to the border and you want to bribe the guards. You've got these coins, right? Or the world goes into you know Matt O'Dell, you know, mandibles kind of world, and you know nobody's trading in Bitcoin. Well, everyone knows what a coin is, right? The problem with the coins is the premiums are big. You go to buy a gold coin and you're going to pay five to eight percent over melt value. You could sell it at usually face at melt value, but you know if, if you're thinking of trading in and out of something and your your vig is a, you know your spread is a five to eight percent spread, that's going to eat you up pretty quickly. Right. So so to me the coins you want to hold for the you know it's an apocalyptic world and and the other nice thing about the coins they're off the radar screen nobody can see them. You're not going to get a a, a report. I mean if you buy fizz in your brokerage account and it goes up. You're going to get a report, and you sell it. You're going to get a report. You owe taxes. You buy the coins. I mean, I own a lot of coins, and you know, I imagine what will happen one day if I have a taxable estate is I'll go to my three kids and okay, this is your pile, this is your pile, and this is your pile, and the government won't know that any of that has taken place. So, right. but yes, yeah, so so buying buying gold as a proxy, you know, it's one of the things. It's another interesting thing is that people say, well, there's going to be deflation. There could be, and there could be massive deflation. We've got this enormous debt structure which is in the process of collapsing. Um, what's the best thing to have in deflation? Go back to the 20s. Um, the best thing to have in inflation is cash, or deflation is cash, because the price of everything falls relative to cash, right? So in, in, the, in the 20s, you know, if you had, in the 30s, if you had cash and housing prices went down 90%, you could buy a house for 10 cents on the dollar. What is gold? Gold is cash that can't be printed, right? And mm. that's the beauty of it. It's, it's literally a liquid form of cash that cannot be debased the way all fiat currencies can, can and will be debased. So, so the advantage really, I mean, I, as I compare and contrast gold to Bitcoin, um, gold has a couple of advantages. One is there's no ongoing energy cost to holding coins. Coins are mined, the energy spent, you got the coins, that's it, no more. Bitcoin, you buy the Bitcoin, 
you know, if you just hold it and hodl it in an address, you're not paying anything, but there will be an energy cost. Somebody's got to pay for that transaction when you choose to sell it, right? In the sense that there'll be some, some kind of a, a SATS fee, so to speak. And, you know, more recently when the, when the blockchain got rather backed up after, you know, Silicon Valley Bank blew apart, you know, I, I saw some transactions going through at five, seven hundred, you know, seven hundred dollars a transaction. So, um, you know, that's that's worth keeping in mind. Um, but in all other respects, I think Bitcoin is so far superior that, you know, I recommend everybody have a shitload of Bitcoin, and uh, and I recommend older people in particular have some gold because, generally speaking, older people don't like to see enormous volatility. I mean, I have clients who are seventy or eighty years old. If I told them, "Hey, your account's down eighty percent, but don't worry, it's going to come back," you know, they they'd shoot me, right? Well, so. yeah, they, they might not have a whole cycle left in them. Well, that, well, that's right. That's exactly right. You've got to have a longer time frame. But to be completely fair, I mean, if I were thirty years old, I'd probably be ninety percent Bitcoin, ten percent gold. I mean, I'll just for the listeners to have a sense. I'm sixty-five years old, and I'm about half and half. Right. Okay. Yeah. So I'm about. 90% Bitcoin, 10% cash. Okay. And, and the cash so, is what I'm thinking of putting I into could, gold. I, I personally, and this isn't investment advice, you know, yeah. all the normal disclaimers, wouldn't be crazy in my view for you to take 10% of that cash, take half that cash and put it in gold. That's some great investment advice. Right. Um, uh, so what I'm thinking is then if I do put that, you know, 5, 10% into gold, of that 5, 10% in, I might put 10% of that into physical. Maybe, yeah. Hide that away. Right, right. have some coins. Ready for right. the apocalypse. Ready for the apocalypse. Bribe the guards. Yeah, yeah. You, can, you can always trade it. Everyone knows what a coin is. And stick to the well-known coins, right? I mean, don't, and don't, mess, around with, don't mess around with the blocks. I mean, they're, they're tungsten-coated gold blocks. There's been a lot of that recently. So you gotta, oh, really? Oh, yeah. Yeah, you, you don't want to buy kilo bars. Uh, no, no, no. You, know, you, you, you want to buy sovereigns. You want to buy American eagles, American buffaloes, Canadian maple leaves. They're all good choices in my view. But as I say, you're going to pay. What about the Bank of England one? Are they trusted? Yeah, that's a sovereign. Okay. Yeah, the British sovereign. Yeah, you're going to pay a five to eight percent over melt value. You know, I mean, ultimately, at the end of the day, gold is gold. It's a commodity, right? And it's worth what you could melt it down for. But the fact that somebody's turned it into a coin that's easily recognizable, and it's hard, it's hard to fake those coins. The Chinese have tried to make fake gold coins, silver eagles and gold eagles. They're, they're terrible. I mean, if you if you actually have seen one, held one, played with one, I mean you. You, you, it's it's really hard to make it, um, and so I, I don't. You don't have to worry about counterfeits. Is the point I'm trying to make? Right, and and there's still there is still a case for silver. Oh, absolutely. In fact, there's a bigger case for silver if you can hand, handle the volatility. I mean, the beautiful thing about silver versus gold is it's got a commodity use value, right? I mean, gold is just and, and all the gold that's ever been mined is still above ground, and it's either in a vault or around a lady's neck, you know, so or in a in a museum. Um, silver gets used every year. We don't have a big stockpile of silver. Silver is kind of, you know, um, you know, seed to table. I mean, it gets mined and it gets used. And, you know, there are silver tea sets that get melted down. That's about 18% of the supply every year. But the point is that silver um, has a growing use case in, in two major areas, um, solar and, and electronics. Um, and so as a result of that, if there ever gets to be a tightness in the silver market, the silver is going to go up much more quickly than gold. Huh. I personally think silver is going to fifty or hundred dollars an ounce, and right now it's at twenty six. So, I was once told all the gold in the world would fit under the Eiffel Tower. That's true. <laughs> I didn't yeah, know that. That's yeah. true. It's, it's a couple of Olympic sized swimming pools, is what I've been told. It doesn't seem wow. right, does it? No. no, it's there's not much of it. It's a very rare substance, right? Um, and it's indestructible, and and that's why until Bitcoin came along, it was the best form of money we had, and. Five thousand years of you know human history. Everybody has adopted that and recognizes that, and that's not going away anytime soon. I mean, you know, there are a lot of people who don't even know what Bitcoin is. Sadly, 
But, um, you know, but they know what a gold coin is, generally speaking, almost any place in the world. You know. Talk to me about the conference you've just been to. Tell, tell me, and Danny, what you just told me. Yeah, it's interesting. So I was at the European Gold Forum. This is run by the Denver Gold Group, probably the biggest gold organization in the world. They have two conferences a year. They have one in Denver. They have one in Zurich. And um, this is the first conference they've had post-COVID. They shut it down for all the COVID stuff. Um, and typically, this conference runs between 600 and 800 people per year, attendees. Uh, in this particular year, they told me they had 240 people sign up and probably only 180 showed up. Wow. And 90 of those were from the industry itself. So, I mean, it's just gold companies who go there trying to get people interested in their company. So, so they had 90 attendees. I mean, this is, right? Now, one might say, okay, well, that's, that's really bad. Um, you know, nobody's interested in gold. Um, as a contrarian and as an investor, my view is that's incredibly good. <laughs> Here we are. Gold is almost at an all-time high. Gold's at 2040 right now. Um, last all time, it's, it's peaked at 2063 and 2070-ish, right after the, the war broke out. And when we go through those two numbers with authority, it'll be an all-time high. And as, as most of us who operate in financial markets know, when something goes through an all-time high, it sucks off a lot of algorithms. Like, holy shit, this is a breakout. You know? And so, in my opinion, when we go through 2100 with authority, probably we'll go to 22 or 3, we'll correct back to 2000, maybe a little below it. Everyone say, oh, it was a fake breakout. But then we'll start going up again. Very much the way, you know, when Bitcoin kind of came out of the 16, went up and eventually it hit 30, but it came back to 20, but now it's back up, you know, and it's going again. It'll become obvious that, you know, it's kind of game on in the sound money land. And that's, you know, that's what I'm here to kind of tell your listeners and tell you we talked about it in the car. I mean, I'm just incredibly bullish right now what's happening. I mean, it's, it's sad, of course, in a lot of ways mm. than what's going on in the world. But in terms of the sound money theme and the assets that Bitcoiners and gold owners hold, I couldn't be more bold up. I mean, I think we are going to see an outstanding next two years. I really do. Wow. What do those people at the gold conference think of Bitcoin? That's a great question. So um, there's it, it runs from complete antagonism, and, and I got into one of the I got into it on the web with one of those guys about that. You guys probably saw it. Did you block him? Uh, I did, but then you know I met him at the conference, and 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 we actually had a nice conversation. And we kind of had misunderstood each other, and I decided, you know, forgive and forget. And I'm a Christian and all that, and I kind of felt bad that I had blocked him. He was so obnoxious, and he, he really mis <laughs> he disrespected somebody who I have enormous respect for, Bitcoin uh, Ollie. Okay. Yeah, yeah. And, and she's just such a sweetheart. And I thought, God damn it, Peter, I'm done. I'm done with you. And so we, yeah, I blocked him, and we got into it. Anyway, we we, we kissed and made up. It's all good. Uh, he doesn't like Bitcoin. Fine. To answer your question, though, Danny, um, at several of these conferences, and I go to the New Orleans Gold Show every year, I generally give a speech there, and I always quiz the, the audience. And I say, okay, you know, you guys, and I talk a lot about gold, obviously, but we talk about Bitcoin, too. And I, I say, look, guys, and I, I view my role in this, in this whole event, in this revolution, I'm the guy who's trying to lead the gold bugs into Bitcoin. I mean, I think Bitcoin is a superior choice. And rather than get mad at the gold bugs or call them the enemy or do some of the things that other people in the industry have done, my view is, no, they're your easiest convert. They get the, they get the thesis. They just don't understand. They're afraid of Bitcoin. A lot of times it's because of, you know, the FTXs and the Bankman Freeds and they think yeah. it's all fraudulent shit, right? Um, but anyway, to answer your question, I go to the New Orleans Gold Conference and um, uh, I ask, I say, how many of you guys own, own Bitcoin? Half the hands go up. Half. And, that, and I would have said that I had the same experience in Switzerland. Right. You know, a couple of the older guys, the guy I really respect, Egan Van Graerts, who I think totally understands the monetary situation, he's against Bitcoin, but we're friends. You know, it's all good. Um, you know, but I'd say in general, and it, and it, it tends to correlate fairly, strong, fairly much with age. I mean, the younger people tend to get it better. I wonder if there is a correlation also with uh, your position within the gold world, in that if you're like a very well-known, highly respected gold bug, 
is there risk, is there reputational risk of starting to diversify to what is a... It's complementary, but also competitive. I get it. There can only be one, and it is it is complementary, and they are competitive. And it's you know, look, gold's number one, and so Bitcoin wants to overthrow number one. I get all of that. So, you know, to me, that's people who are looking at investing as a religion. You know, and and Mm. to to a degree, it is. I mean, I look, Bitcoin's a lot more than number go up and making money. To me, it actually is a religion. But, but you know, I think as you look at it as an investor, as a probability weighted investor, you have to entertain both. Mm. You know, and you have to admit that Bitcoin has crushed gold. And you have to see that you know, gold is, you know, the Bitcoin is becoming digital gold. It's not fully there yet, and it's going to take time. But yes, you're right. I mean, I, you know, we, we were talking. I was talking to somebody last night. Is, does Peter Schiff really believe his bullshit? I don't know that he does. I mean, I think his whole stick might be just a marketing stick, you know, to get clicks and, and yeah. everything else. I mean, hell, his son is a Bitcoiner, right? Mm. I mean, he's got to be smarter than that. But 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 perhaps not. I mean. Um, I think Egon's. I don't think he's doing it because of his position, and he he can't not he can't disrespect gold. I think he actually sincerely hasn't taken the time to deeply understand how it works. And I, I think I think if you haven't done the work and you haven't taken the time, I mean you you know and and you look around. I mean remember, there's been a lot of crypto bullshit. Mm. I mean a lot of crypto bullshit. We all know that. And you know, if you don't do the work and you, you just look at that and you go, oh, "Fuck this shit," I'm not gonna. You know, why why should I be messing around with this fraudulent crap? Well, you, well you know? most of us are dismissive, dismissive first time. I mean, I dismissed it first time. I did too. You did. You. Yeah. We all do. Yeah. And sometimes it's two, three, four. It takes those multiple touch well, and, points. And, and even after I hadn't dismissed it, I started in 2013. I kept thinking to myself, "This thing's gonna blow up." I mean, it's a computer. How can a computer possibly deliver immutable sound money? Yeah. And and but then you know you meet Odell and you hear people explain it and you get to the hashing and, and you and you realize and you get 14 years. You go through the block wars, you know. You you have all the forks and all the other ones die off and you know eventually the signal just kind of comes through like holy shit this is this really is immutable digital security. It's gonna you know scarcity. It's gonna live forever and you know there are 21 million of these suckers and there's eight billion people. These things are going to ten million dollars a coin. I well, mean, you know, fingers crossed. Not fingers crossed. It's just happening. It's math, man. Well, yeah. Now the problem is, you know, what, what will ten million dollars yeah. buy you? I mean, you know, it might be thousand dollar gasoline at that point, right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, you know, but no, it's going to happen. I, I don't. I just don't have any doubt about it. This show is brought to you by Wasabi, who I am using to keep my Bitcoin private. Now, Wasabi is the easiest way to send and receive Bitcoin privately. And even for non-technical people like me, it is effortless and provides privacy by default. Now, with Wasabi, there is no minimum amount, so you can get started coin joining straight away. And Wasabi users make coin join transactions together with BTC Pay and Trezor users, and BTC Pay server users can make payments in CoinJoin, which saves on fees and is a privacy improvement. Also, Wasabi have just dropped a new feature. Now, Trezor Suite users can make coin joins directly on the hardware wallet, which is obviously very cool. Now, if you want to find out more, please head over to wasabiwallet.io, which is W-A-S-A-B-I-W-A-L-L-E-T.io. Also, today we have BitCasino. Now, BitCasino was established in 2013 and is the world's first licensed Bitcoin casino. It is trusted by tens of thousands of players worldwide, and not only do they have cutting-edge security, but they offer fast withdrawals and VIP experiences that money can't buy. BitCasino also has over 2,800 games and tournaments to try out. And with 24-7 live chat support, you can always get the help you need. To find out more, please head over to bitcasino.io, the first Bitcoin casino to win an EGR award. That is bitcasino.io, which is B-I-T-C-A-S-I-N-O.io.
and please remember to gamble responsibly. Next up today, we have Unchained. Now, events at exchanges and traditional banks over the last year have been an important reminder of how critical it is to take control of your Bitcoin keys. Trusting an exchange exposes you to hacks, compromised passwords, frozen funds, or even worse, being caught up in someone else's insolvency. But taking control of your Bitcoin keys can also be daunting, and that's why my friends at Unchained offer a concierge onboarding, a personalized service to get you up and running. You get a one-on-one video call with an expert who will help you set up your cold storage vault, which can take the stress from you even if you've never secured your Bitcoin before. They will ship you the required devices, walk you through the setup, and even help you with withdrawals from exchanges. And after you set up, Unchained continues to provide you with regular support to help you get comfortable with controlling your own keys. Now, if you've been putting this off for a while, if you've been putting off taking control of your Bitcoin wealth, then Unchained's concierge onboarding is a simple way to get started, sooner rather than later. Now, you can book your onboarding call today at unchained.com forward slash what Bitcoin did, and at the checkout, you will get a $50 off with the promo code what Bitcoin did. That is unchained.com, which is U-N-C-H-A-I-N-E-D.com forward slash what Bitcoin did. I, I think it takes a few touch points. I also think, look, a lot of people didn't, don't get gold. I mean, I, well, that's right. I'd never bought gold before Bitcoin, so I'd gone well, my whole life all the way up until you know 2013 before I'd bought digital gold. Right. You know? well, 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 most people just don't get the monetary system, and partic- exactly. and particularly Americans, because America has, generally speaking, had a stable monetary system. I mean, one of the things I find fascinating, I interact with these people a lot. I have some of them as investors. I met with a couple yesterday. I met with a guy from Lebanon yesterday who's an investor in my fund, and you know, Lebanon's experiencing 70 or 80 percent, you know, inflation, annualized inflation. You know, Turkey, same story. I mean, and he'd been in Turkey. You know, Argentina, same story. I mean, there are lots of places in the world that have had really high inflation. They get it. You know, they they save in, you know, I mean, they save in, you know, ironically, they save in the dollar, but the the dollar's more stable than their local currency, or they save in gold, or they save in Bitcoin, because they, they understand how badly a currency can be abused. The Americans, I mean, you know, the last time we had hyperinflation was, you know, 1789, right, with the Continental. I mean, to a degree, we had it in the Civil War. But America's never really experienced hyperinflation. I find it interesting, too, in speaking to the Germans at the Zurich Gold Show, you know, all Americans are just terrified of the next Great Depression because I know, in my case, I heard from my grandparents about how bad it was, you know, how they were eating biscuits and, you know, they had no money and things were horrific. And that's the great American fear is, is deflation. In, you're in Germany, you're in Zurich, and you're meeting with Germans who are gold investors. The opposite. The exact opposite. All their grandparents experienced hyperinflation, and, they, and they're just terrified of inflation because of what it did to their country and then drove them into being led by a madman and all the other stuff. So, you know, it's, it's very interesting the way these fears get passed down through generations. And, you know, frankly, we've enjoyed this really sweet period post-World War II where monetary conditions were relatively stable and the U.S. behaved somewhat acceptably at, back in those days, right after World War II. I mean, it never has behaved totally acceptably. In fact, I was, it was interesting. I was talking with Egon, and, and he said, well, you know, human beings are involved. Everything will always go to shit eventually. <laughs> <laughs> and I was kind of cynical. I said, you know, he said, yeah, there are no good human beings. And I said, well, Egon, you know, the guys who were the founding fathers of this country, they, they were really great human beings. I mean, they, you know, the documents they were wrote were just brilliant. They moved the world and society forward, blah, blah, blah. And he says, yes, Larry, but remember, they also committed genocide. You know, they wiped out the entire American native population. And it's like, you got a point. Yeah. You know, I mean, there's, there's nobody free of And they blame. had slaves. Yeah, and they had slaves. And Right. I mean, yeah. there's, you know, there's, I mean, the history of human, 
you know, progress is full of good guys and bad guys and some people who are mixed. And, you know, we keep going in the right direction, I hope, but, you know, there, there are bad guys out there, right? Well, it all smacks of needing to educate more about money, what it is, what well, gives it value, right. how it operates. That's right. Because it bypasses everyone. Exactly. I've said relentlessly on this podcast, the amount of times I go on Facebook and try and tell people about what's wrong, what's going on in the financial system, what's happening with the banks, and it just bypasses people. I think, I think people have been privileged to live through a fairly stable yes. 20, 30, 40 years, fairly. Fairly, yeah. correct. And now, it's, now it might come and hit them like a train wreck. I, I think that's absolutely right. And, and that's where, you know, again, I, I think you know, Safe's book, has changed the world. Because you know, I've been, I've been carrying this flag for 20 years. I was, I've been a gold bug forever. And I've been a sound money guy all in since 08. I mean, 08 was, you know, the, the global financial crisis radicalized me for sound money. I mean, I became a jihadist, right? <laughs> <laughs> a sound money jihadist. And, uh, and um, you know, basically, um, you know, but I was fighting it alone, right? And then, you know, and now I've got, you know, so, so Safe comes out, he writes his book, all 20, 30 year olds read it. And now I got, you know, 20-year-old people coming up to me and say, hey, I've seen you on Twitter and, you know, and they're quoting von Mises, right? I mean, and it's like I got reinforcements, finally. Yeah. You know, I got some guys with sharp spears, you know, charging the hill, ready to go kill these central bankers. And by the way, they deserve to be killed. And I'm not, you know, I don't hesitate in saying that. I mean, look, I wish I could channel my inner Jeff Booth and be, you know, zen and positive all the time. But on the other hand, you know, the revolutions also need, you know, some some stone throwers and some, you know, some torch carriers. And... So, you know, I'm going to carry a torch and throw stones at these guys because they've, they've got, they've really screwed up our world incredibly. I mean, when you look at what's going on in this system, I'm just blown away every day with the events and how badly they've messed it all up. All right. Well, listen, tell through me, but I got my son here, right? Yeah, yeah. And like, but tell it through me. Explain what a central bank is and how they fucked the world up. Sure. Well, the central bank is um, the Bank of England, you know, the Federal Reserve. It's, it's, it's a country's authority which con controls their monetary system. Um, the U.S. Federal Reserve was established in 1913. Um, they snuck it through around Christmas time when nobody was there to vote on it. It's really a money trust. And what it allows is for cantillionaires to take advantage of everybody else by printing the money to bail themselves out. And they, you know, they basically control when the money is issued and at what price. And they basically act as, you know, they determined in, based on bank runs. I mean, in the 1800s, the U.S. experienced the largest growth in productivity and living standards ever measured in the history of mankind. From 1800 to 1900, the, the quality of living for the average person went up immeasurably as, as a result of a lot of things. But one part of that was we were on the gold standard. Um, we did experience some financial panics, and banks would occasionally get over leveraged and get in trouble. And so what the politicians and the people who control the Central Reserve or built the Central Reserve determined is we're going to use that to scare people into telling the people we need to have a monetary system that we can control. And so that's what they did. They set up a monetary system they control, and they had the backstop on all of the money that was issued. Do you and, think that was ignorance or malice? Oh, malice. Absolutely absolute, malice. Absolutely malice. You don't no. think any part of them thought, like, this is the best way to operate the banking oh, well, system? Okay, to be fair, there were, I'm sure there were people who voted for it who thought that. Yeah. And to be fair, there was, there was a cover story, and that was the cover story. You know, we have these bank runs, they're horrible, and therefore we need to have a centralized system to control them. But there were also people at the table, Warburg and Aldrich and others, who really knew that if we get control of this, man, are we going to be able to make money? I mean, we're going to, this is going to be a thing of beauty. It's going to give us a lot of power. And, and the people in government knew that as well. Do you know what I mean? The, the central government recognized that if we can have control of this, 
that will centralize power and you know politicians will you know be able to go from zero to 60 million in net worth the way Elizabeth Warren has you know by just just by holding a political office right and so so yes some of it was ignorance and, and well-intended stop bank runs etc but I think a lot of it was malice and so anyway they set this whole thing up and they immediately violated their charter immediately they were supposed to only lend in ex extreme circumstances against good collateral at high rates for short periods of time and pay it back. That's not what happened. World War One broke out. We need a lot of money. They printed it, you know. <laughs> they and and so that was just the beginning, you know. And 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 then you know you think that was bad. Then they went up and they had a depression in 1920. They printed some more, and then and then they really printed in the 20s and created the largest bubble ever known in the history of mankind, which burst in 29 and created enormous pain for millions of people, including my grandparents, who I heard about it from, you know, in the form of the Great Depression as a result of, you know, as we know, Austrian economics and bubbles that burst. So, you know, the, the notion that a central bank should be in control of the money supply, I mean, it goes back to, you know, um, you know, the Rothschild fellow who stated, you know, give me control of the money and I care not who makes the laws, right? I mean, it, it really it really is that. And, and so the people who are at the money spigot and can control it, and I mean, if you know when things are going to be inflationary and you know when things are going to be deflationary, you can become filthy rich because you basically are controlling the market and you can front run the market. And that's, what hap that's what's happened. I mean, it's, it's amazing to me how much these fiat contillionaires have benefited. I mean, I've got people I went to Harvard Business School with who, you know, basically were at the bottom of my class, not particularly bright guys, but got into the right place at the right time. And they're worth hundreds of millions of dollars today. And, and it's because... They were in a system where their particular business really, you know, benefited, mostly private equity, their particular business really benefited from free money. You know, they were able to borrow at extremely low rates, lend it out at extremely high rates or, or invest it at high rates of return. So the cost of capital was low, their returns were high. I mean, you know, look, you give me money at 0% and you show me opportunities where I can make 6, 8, 10% and I can lever it up. I'm going to get rich too. Mm. It's not that hard. I mean, you know, you can do it, but especially if you know that when it goes tits up on you, when the, when the trade goes bad on you, they're going to come bail you out, right? I mean, look at Ken Griffin, right? He runs Citadel. Okay, he should have been bankrupt. He should have been bankrupt. He, he should have been bankrupt. But but I've been told by a good source, could be wrong, but it's a good source. As you know, Ben Bernanke is on his board of advisors. Mm -hmm. Ben Bernanke is, is paid twenty million dollars a year by by Citadel. That's what I've been told. I don't know if it's true. It's a rumor. But it would make sense because when the fl things flipped in March of 2020, he was, was this GameStop. Uh, no, I mean I don't, he may have been involved there too. I don't know his role. There was in another that one. firm that were backed up after GameStop because they were possibly. Yeah, I, yeah. I'm not as familiar with that one, but 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 going back to the you know the the when the you know when when we went into a crash in March mm. of 2020, you know I, there were swap lines given to these guys. You know the risk parity trade was protected. You know, very much like what happened over here when when all your you know LTI stuff blew up, right? Yeah. yeah. Or is this what happened with Silicon Valley Bank? Well, that's a whole another story. I mean, yeah, to a degree, that is what happened with Silicon Valley Bank. I mean, the the story there that I find most amazing. I find a couple things about that story amazing. One, in one day, forty two billion dollars went out the door. I know. In one <laughs> day, unreal. I mean, APIs. Yeah. Right. I mean, we're talking point and click move money. I mean. You know, uh, think of how fast that is for that amount of money. I mean, if and when a monetary collapse comes, it could happen really, really quickly. That blew my mind. Second thing about that story that blew my mind is that black letter law from Dodd-Frank, which was hammered out over you know, a couple of years with a lot of involvement by all kinds of senators, was 
we are not going to bail out the banks anymore. You know, the depositors are going to have to take the hit. That's a fact. And that was the black letter law of Dodd-Frank, okay? And they just violated it. You know, in the space of, you know, Silicon Valley Bank gets upside down. There are a bunch of wealthy people who have their money in Silicon Valley Bank. You know, Bill Ackman's crying like a baby on Twitter. You know, he's, I mean, he's just disgusting. And, um, you know, a lot of people are lobbying in Washington, D.C. There's a fear of bank runs. There's a fear of bank failure. You know, we're going to change black letter law. Nope, we're not. We're going to make the depositors whole. We're just going to step. And even on the day it happened, and this is in my quarterly letter, which will be out next week. On the day it happened, Janet Yellen was on CBS Face the Nation and said, no, no, we're not going to bail out the bank because Don Franks prevents that, blah, 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 blah. We're not going to do a bailout. Okay, fine. That's what she said. That evening, the same, six hours later, that evening, they bailed out the bank. You know, they came in with, a, you know, the BTFP program, which we all, you know, um, jokingly call by the fucking paper. Yeah, by the fucking paper. <laughs> the by the fucking paper program. And they, um, and they um, you know, they bailed out the bank. And they said it wasn't a bailout, but of course it was a bailout. Of course it was a bailout. Yeah, right. Because these banks would have failed. They, they, they all would have failed and there would have been contagion. Yeah. And by the way, I mean, to me, that's just the first crack in the dike. But hold on. It, yeah. So do you think they bailed out the banks because they were bailing out their buddies? Or do you think they bailed out the banks because of the fear of contagion? Because it's, it's definitely different scenarios. Yeah, you're right. Um, I think everyone had different motivations. I think, I think they're right. both, some of both. I'm probably greater fear of contagion. Yeah. That they, you know, that they stand ready to backstop the system. And they know that, you know, this, I mean, and, and this, is, this is what happens when you build an unfragile, or a fragile system on an unsound premise. I mean, the premise that Keynes started off with is fundamentally unsound. You know, growth is good, unlimited growth in a, in a finite resources planet. I mean, it just doesn't fucking make sense. It does not work. I mean, if we if we grow un, in an unlimited sense with limited resources, it's not going to work. So an economy, the, the right way to run an economy should be based entirely upon efficiency. Mm -hmm. It's all about how can we get more for less input? That's what it's all about, right? This is deflation. This is this is Jeff's yeah. brilliant, this is Jeff's brilliant thesis, yeah. right? We need to live in a deflationary world. Therefore, we need a currency which matches that world. So we're trying to push an inflationary currency story based on Keynes's wrong premises against a deflationary world that needs more efficiency, not more growth. And that's what, that's, where the, that's where the collision is. Right? But it's such a huge flip for people. Oh yeah, nobody you know, gets it. It's not like saying we need to reduce. Uh, um, it's not like we're saying we need to um, reduce interest rates by one percent. It's not yeah, like we're saying yeah. we, you know. Uh, like we need to make these little tweaks. It is a complete fundamental <laughs> rethink understanding of the entire economy. That's exactly right. And that's why it's a fourth turning. I mean, it's it's like and it, and it's stunning to me that that this that this mass delusion has gone on for so long. But yeah, I mean, I, I almost I mean a perfect comparable to this is is you know, is 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 the physics around the planets and the earth, you know, and revolving around the sun. I mean, everyone believed. You know, until Galileo came along, yep. that, you know, the planets and the sun had a certain relationship to one another, and they were just fundamentally wrong. And and, and that's it's the same kind of a, a paradigm shift. I mean, people are just fundamentally wrong. They've been trained to think in a way that doesn't make any sense. And 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 they also have recency bias because I mean, you know, I, I've got this in my letter as well. I mean, Herb Stein, who was an economist in the Nixon economy in the Nixon administration, had a great line. He said he coined what he called Stein's law. If something cannot go on forever, it will end. It's pretty, <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty simple, right? Yeah. But but this is this delusion has gone on for quite a period of time. Yeah, for quite a period. And 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 I, and I know a lot of people on Twitter and otherwise who tell me it's going to go on for another twenty or thirty years. 
But I would submit to you that the mathematics prevent that, and that's where Foss has it right. Okay. It's just simple math. It can't. It can't because we're, the, the the lines are be, they're going parabolic straight up. But right? but a soft default allows them to restart the party. Well, possibly correct. That is correct. I mean, there are there are lots of ways that that they could maybe extend their time and extend the system at a at a at a, at a macro level, but that would take a very severe you know default um, or a reset of the monetary system because the math right now is bearing down on them. You know, we've all seen the chart of U.S. federal. I mean, we all know what a debt doom loop is. We all know how that's worked out. James Lavish has done a great job of laying yeah. that out, right? And as a as a result of that. I mean, they, they're just, they're trapped. I mean, they, they, they just, they have to continue printing money, which will drive more inflation, which will drive interest rates higher, which will then drive the federal deficit higher. And, you know, for the first time in my lifetime, the United States government is starting to look like a third world country. I mean, we're, we're basically going to have to print the money to cover our interest cost and to cover our debt repayment. You know? And to cover other countries around the world. Well, and that too, not to mention that. I mean, that's the other thing that's stunning to me is just how much behind the door money goes out there. I mean... Um, you know, there's a great site called uh, Wall Street on Parade. Um, Pam Martins runs it, where she they've they've done a lot of forensic work into how much money we throw into the system. They throw into the system to keep it going. It's mind-boggling. It's absolutely mind-boggling. And, and, and Preston talks about this as well. I mean, mm. you know, the Fed balance sheet went from 800 to three, and then it went from three to eight, almost nine, eight, nine. That's coming back down to touch. You know, the next time it's going to go from eight to 15. You know, and then it's going to go from 15 to 50. And and one of these could be the big one. I mean, I, I don't know which one will be. I, I tend to think, I mean, of course, and, and I've been wrong about this, okay, by the way. I thought it was all over in 2008. I thought that was, right. that was the blow. And they restarted it at the sovereign and the currency level. But there's no higher level than the currency level. And so if you, if you go to your Austrian textbooks, you know, you realize that, I mean, there's no way out. Either the, either the currency is going to fail or we're going to have, you know, massive inflation, which will ultimately kind of be a soft currency to failure. And I think that's what you might have been alluding to. Yeah, well, I, th I think it goes on for as long as they can get away with it with a docile public. How long they yes. can they can get away with it? If you look at something like Lebanon, they got away with it until there was people burning down the banks, uh, burning down the banks, smashing yeah. the bank windows because they couldn't get to their money. Yeah. I think in the U.S., yeah, this inflation's crap. But they're getting away with it. Yes, I think if you suddenly have people not able to get their money from the bank, or people start to experience hundred percent inflation, and you start to see people revolution on the streets, that's when they can't get away with it for any much longer. I think that's right, and I think what that naturally leads into, and probably where you were going, is what's their plan? And we, we know their plan because they've yes. kind of they've headlighted it, right? They're going to go they're going to go CBDCs, and the way they're going to get us to accept that is they're going to go universal basic income, and so no Bitcoin or no no. You know, true Bitcoiner is going to want to hold any CBDC, and I mean, it's it's just digital fiat, right? But um, but if you're starving and you've got no other choice, and they're willing to give you some UBI, and you got to take it in CBDC form, well, guess what? You probably will do it because it, you know you want to feed your family. So um, yeah, I mean, it's it's pretty clear that's kind of what they're aiming for next, and and you know the timing and, and actions around that, it's hard to tell. Um, you know, the other threat that I see that that concerns me greatly, and we haven't seen this narrative a lot. I've seen a little of it is that eventually it's probably going to develop a narrative around the lines of, you know, you gold and Bitcoin people are messing up our legitimate currency system. Of course. And you're, and you're, and you're evil. And therefore, you know, just as in World War II, you needed to buy government bonds to support the war effort. You know, um, boy, if you're, if you're, you know, playing in gold and playing in Bitcoin, you're being anti-American. In fact, you're being so anti-American that we're going to tax the living shit out of you, right? Or, or we're going to do choke point 
And guess what? You're not going to have any way to get your money into and out of that shit. Mm. Um, and so, you know, we're, we're seeing all this, right? I mean, we're going to have the New York Times write completely, you know, fictional articles, you know, about the impact of the mining operations. And so, you know, we, we can see where they're going with this, right? And it's not good. Um, having said all of that, you know, we huddle on and, you know, they can they can say they're going to tax me, but one, they don't know what I have, and two, with 12 words, I can live somewhere else. Yeah. And I, <laughs> I, 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 but, but I am starting to, I think a lot more now about how, how do you fight back against this. Mm-hmm. And for me, it's just about education and communication. Well, that's right. And it's, I'm walking a fine line between education and sounding like a conspiracy theorist. I've talked well, about the size. Always well, on my mind, you know, if, if you try and explain this to them, you say, yeah, look, <clears throat> the government needs to wipe away the debt because there's going to be a massive inflation, but they want you to still delve sell, so they're going to offer you universal basic income, but they're going to do this through a central bank digital currency, which they can uh, use for mass surveillance and stop you from spending. Like, you sound like a nutter. Well, yeah. I mean, you're, you're coming from normie land. <laughs> yeah. Okay, I mean, you're, you're coming from Paul Krugman. I mean, Paul Krugman, you know, said had tweeted this morning something about how, you know, monetary conspiracy theories. I mean, yeah. Look, we all sound like nutters, but the fact of the matter is we're right. Yeah. So, I mean, these conspiracy theories have become conspiracy facts. You know, and, and let's talk about a development that I think is extremely interesting. I'm very excited about it. I, don't, I haven't done all the work, so I can't, you know, endorse him fully. But I don't know if anyone's paid attention to the fact that Robert Kennedy Jr. I, has, have, you, have you followed what he's been saying recently? Yeah, I have. I mean, one, he's going to run for president. I've not followed any of this. Well, this well is, you'll find this interesting. I'll just give you the highlights. He's come out and said basically the CIA killed his uncle. Okay. Okay. So, so he's 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 called bullshit on the Warren Commission story on on the JFK assassination. He's hinted that he thinks they were involved in killing his his father as well, uh, and they were from what I've read. Um, he's come out and he said that you know the the contillionaires have basically printed all this money and made themselves rich, and they're trying to block the exits. Basically, Bitcoin being the best exit with Operation Choke Point. Okay, and then. Um, there was one other point he had made. I'm trying to recall what it was, but those were those were the major ones um, that he is he already in Congress. No, no. So he's no, just he's a, he's a private individual who lives in Los Angeles. But he is um, next week. Actually, he's going to declare uh, his his bid for the presidency as a as a Democratic candidate. So he's going to he's viable. Oh yeah, I mean th- this guy gets it. Okay. Oh, the other thing, he's, the other one that he's been very strong. He thinks COVID was bullshit, and he thinks the van- the, uh, the vaccine mandates were bullshit. Um, so here we have a real brave freedom fighting, you know, guy who kind of gets our point of view, who has a real national name and platform and some money. I mean, this is like whoa. But he's also saying things that will bring a Republicans across. He's appealing to Republicans. Very there. much. I'm a, I used to be a Republican. I'm a, I'm a nothing now because I hate all these parties. But but the point is, this this is a message that would would attract all disaffected. You know, quote unquote conspiracy theory types, um, because you found him. Yeah, yeah, I found him. So and Bitcoin. Is, You've seen you mentioned Bitcoin. Oh I'm yeah. Not, this is like a complete other rabbit hole, but I'm just too curious. So, what's the theory about why the CIA killed his? Is it Uncle and Uncle, Yeah, JFK. Yeah. Oh, so because I've, I've, I mean, I know the story, but I don't oh. know it very detailed. This, this is this is um, this is accepted fact to those of us who have a brain and can do the analysis. Um, I, I, I encourage you to read a book um, by Douglas called JFK and the Unthinkable. Okay, um, is probably it's the best introduction to the uh, the murder of JFK. Um, the, the theory, in, in brief, the theory is that because JFK was trying to end the Vietnam War, because he had said he wanted to break the CIA into a thousand pieces for setting him up with the Bay of Pigs, because he was having an affair with a Russian agent, because he had back channeled to Khrushchev um, during the Cuban Missile Crisis, and the CIA didn't like that. 
the, the CIA and Johnson came to the conclusion that he was a threat to U.S. national security, and they murdered him um, using a combination of perhaps the mob, um, you, know, in, you know, individual contractors and CIA agents, and that, um, that um, Oswald truly was a patsy. He was a CIA guy and was set up in the whole thing. So, um, and to me, there's, this is indisputable. I mean, I, you know, I'm an analyst. I read things. Um, this, is, this is indisputable fact that our government murdered our president and that that was the beginning of the downfall of the United States in, in post-World War II. And his father as well. Um, yeah, and his father as well. That one's a little more complicated. Was he the one who died in the plane crash? No. Sirhan Sirhan um, shot him at, at a hotel in Los Angeles. Um, but that one's a little more controversial because Sirhan Sirhan was, um, was brainwashed into doing it. And I actually don't think he delivered the, the kill shot. I think the girl in the polka dot dress delivered the kill shot. Is this the guy that can't remember doing it? Yeah. Yeah, uh, have you heard that story? Yeah, no. and, and, uh, and 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 get this: Robert J. Kennedy Jr. He, Sirhan Sirhan came up for parole, okay, and Robert J. Kennedy Jr. supported it. Said we should let this guy out. Wow, right? And and Gavin Newsom said, no, 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 we're throwing him back in jail. Saw an interview with Gavin Newsom the other day. I do not trust that guy. Oh, he's a bad guy. Yeah, he's a very bad guy. Yeah, but that, I mean, what would you expect, right? I mean, there are lots of bad guys out there. <laughs> do, do, do you do you think he beats Gavin Newsom? Oh well, I'm not. Yeah, in the in the primary, I, I don't know. I don't honestly know. I mean, I, you know, there's one of the wags on Twitter said, you know, I hope he stays away from Dealey Plaza, right? I mean, I mean, I, this is an incredibly brave move on the part of this guy. It really is Incre because he's he'll have a big target on his oh, back. Oh fuck yeah, yeah. This is an incredibly brave move. This show is brought to you by Ledin. From savings accounts to personal loans and even mortgages, Ledin's financial services enable Bitcoiners to experience the benefits of holding today without selling their Bitcoin. Ledin has a robust risk management strategy which always prioritizes safeguarding clients' assets with no DeFi yield farming. And Ledin only supports Bitcoin and USDC, two of the highest quality and most liquid assets in the industry. They also are dedicated to transparency and are the first digital asset lending company to complete a proof of reserves attestation, which they re-verify every six months. With multilingual support on standby 24-7, Ledin is there to support all your needs. To find out more, please head over to ledin.io, which is L-E-D-N dot I-O. Also, today we have Ledger. Now, Ledger is the world leader in Bitcoin security, and it's the best way to own and secure your private keys. If you're still holding Bitcoin on an exchange or with a custodian, it might be the time to take your security more seriously. Remember, not your keys, not your Bitcoin. Now, Ledger hardware wallets paired with the Ledger Live app are the easiest and safest way to start managing your own private keys. You can send and sign your Bitcoin transaction with full transparency in the Ledger Live app. And honestly, look, it could not be easier. I have been a Ledger user since 2017. I love their products. and I'm still using the same hardware device I bought back then. Now, if you want to find out more or purchase a hardware wallet from Ledger, then please head over to shop.ledger.com, which is S-H-O-P dot L-E-D-G-E-R dot com. Next up, we have Iris Energy. Now, Iris Energy is the largest NASDAQ-listed Bitcoin miner using 100% renewable energy. Their strategy is to target markets with low-cost, excess renewable energy, and they build out their own highly efficient Bitcoin data centers. They are led by a seasoned management team with a track record of success across renewables, infrastructure, and digital assets. Now, Danny and I met the team recently in Canada and were super impressed with their values, which align with us. So they are a great fit for what Bitcoin did and you, the listeners. Now, we are going to be working with the Iris Energy team on everything we do from podcasts to films and live events, and they are even sponsoring my football team, Rail Bedford. 
I'm really, really happy to be working with such a forward-thinking and sustainable Bitcoin company. But if you want to find out more about them, please head over to irisenergy.co, which is I-R-I-S-E-N-E-R-G-Y.co. There's a lot of tragedy that has befallen that family. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And and look, they're not clean as the driven snow. I mean, you know, the father was a bootlegger and stock manipulator and, you know, a lot of other things. I mean, um, but... Well, yeah. Have you found anything about him and Bitcoin? Yeah, he posted this. I'll put it up here. i make it a bit bigger. <coughs> so this is on his Twitter. Yeah. If you zoom in, okay. The claim now that FedNow is not the first step towards the CBDC would be more easily digestible were we not aware of the Biden administration's steady barrage of hostile broadsides against cryptocurrencies. Between, I love this. Read between, this next one. Between 2008 and 22, the Fed partnered with a handful of big banks to print $10 trillion, 10 centuries of wealth in 15 years, a bonanza for the bankers. Banksters. Oh, for the banksters, yeah. Cryptocurrencies yeah, right. like Bitcoin give the public an escape route from the splatter zone when this bubble in, invariably bursts. So the White House is colluding with the banksters to keep us trapped in the bubble of profiteering and control. In his Feb 8 post on the Pirate Wires, Nick Carter, fucking tag Nick Carter, go on Nick, describes how the White House has organized banksters to participate in sophisticated widespread crackdown to destroy the crypto industry. Carter describes 15 incidents where the uh, Biden administration weaponized the FDIC, OCC, and DOJ to force crypto-friendly banks to close their doors to crypto firms since December 3rd. The recent crackdown on crypto blocks exit ramps removes alternative rails and strengthens the government's control over both the financial and political systems. We should be wary since CBDCs are the ultimate mechanism for social surveillance and control. As Balaji Srivanathan says... The distinction between the Fed now and the CBDC is important from a technical standpoint, but not from a civil liberties standpoint. Balaji compares Fed now to a virus that evolved to evade recognition by changing its sequence without relying on changing its functions. Fuck me. Right? Is it, <laughs> That's a presidential candidate. Is this guy one of us or what? Holy, they're going to fucking kill Right? Him. They're going to kill him. <laughs> well, right. But but here's my point. Huh. I, I want to do a little more work on it. I'm not, yeah. I, you know, I'm, I've been so disappointed by so many politicians. I'm not 100% ready to say it, but I think there's a chance I'm going to really, and, and all Bitcoiners should really get behind this we guy. We should try and interview this guy. We should. We right? should definitely try and I, I think th- My guess is he'd take it. Yeah. My guess is he would definitely take Where it. Where is he? Los uh, Angeles. Yeah, no doubt. I, I, we yeah, should, we should reach out. Yes, to him. you should reach out to him. Who would Absolutely. Him? Who would know him? Absolutely. There's got to be a way. We'll find a connection. Somewhere. Yeah, I, I, we, I, I can think of two. Ways. We can figure out a way. I mean, Nick Carter's probably talking to him. Probably. Yeah. I wonder if he follows Nick. We got to make well, that must. one happen. I'll, yeah. I'll go to LA. If, I'm, I'm telling you immediately, Peter. If, if you get an interview with this guy, yeah. What a fucking home run. Seriously. Yeah. Um, he's also quoted this guy named um, Chris Chris Hedges, who I went to college with. Who is a very? Um, he's, he's one of us. He's not a Bitcoiner per se, but he's, he's, he understands how broken everything is. Yeah. And he quotes Hedges a lot. I mean, he. The thing I love about him is he understands how broken this country is. What right? pisses me off is you talked earlier about the forefathers. <clears throat> you know, forget, let's for, yeah, forget their transgressions for now. Yeah. They still fundamentally wanted to build a republic that was fair and couldn't be corrupted. The written documents of the founding of this country, they're fucking stunning, right? uh, Yet, right now, within Congress, how many people within that group do you say, you're a credible person? Uh, I like Cynthia Lummis. I think she's great. 
Uh, and there's a few others I like, but how many of them do you think actually right now say, hold on, what we're doing is wrong here. This is terrible. We're elected by the people for the people, yeah. you know? But how many of them actually give a shit? Like he clearly does. Very few. Yeah. Very few. And that's terrifying. Absolutely. But it's, it's it, you know, show me the incentives, I'll show you the outcome, right? I mean, can, can, Sorry, did you yeah. find anything with him talking about presidential or anyone writing about him making a presidential bid? I mean, well, he's wearing go, go, a T-shirt. Go, no, his... go to Wikipedia. Google him in Wikipedia. I think, <laughs> I think this is probably enough. What's that? Kennedy for president. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's a bit of a giveaway. Yeah, No, no, he's doing it. There's no yeah. doubt about that. He's announcing in April in Boston. Wow. Yeah, but Google him in Wikipedia and, and look at the description, right? So, so, so we know how they're going to counter this, Peter. Okay, I mean, I think the first line is, you know, he's a well-known conspiracy theorist. Yeah, of course. Right? Um, and, um, wait, I'm on but, his, um... Right, uh, Robert Francis Kennedy Jr. is an American environmental lawyer and author known for promoting anti-vaccine propaganda and conspiracy theories. Right. When did they change that? I don't know. I don't, I'm not sure where you see that, actually. Sorry? I don't know I, yeah, yeah, I think there's a history. Is it towards oh. the bottom? You can see a history of a page. Yeah, I'm not sure. Yeah, I mean, you, you can definitely find it. You they're going to paint. They're going to paint him as being a whack job. Right? Yeah, I mean, that's you know, or as you would say, a nutter. <laughs> yeah, but they're going to struggle to get away with it because of the name uh, and who he is. Well, that, but also or everything that's come out so regarding well, vaccines well, and the lockdown. The since, I mean, it's, you know. is it a conspiracy if you're right? You know, I mean, it's um, the, the the CIA coined that term conspiracy theory as a way of trying to degrade anybody who didn't believe in the, in the narrative on JFK. Wow, that's yeah. fascinating. Isn't it? I mean, we don't have anyone like that here in the UK at all. Yeah. We have, we have a very weak political class at the moment, at least within the US, whether I agree with them or not, there's a strong when political class. When I saw class. this, I, I, you know, again, I saw Bitcoin, I thought, boy, there's real hope. I saw this, I thought, you know, because I had a sense that if we all kind of said this message, I mean, look, he, he was quoting Nick Carter, right? Yeah, I, yeah. Know. I mean, I, I had a sense if we, if we spread this message and spread it wide and kept trying to spread it, that eventually the politicians, somebody would hear it. And I saw this and I was like, holy shit, you know, here's a name brand guy who's listening, right? <sighs> right? This is fucking Kennedy, yeah. I mean, it's it's just it's, like it's, it's just pretty, like trying to comprehend it. It's like you 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 need you always need a hero in these situations. Well, that's right, right. right? Yeah. I mean, it's, and and you know, he's not Batman. It's going to take leadership, right? It's going to mm. take leadership. Now, you know, he's got to stay out of Dealey Plaza, right? <laughs> They're going to go after him hard. Oh, oh yeah. Oh yeah, just like the one after Ron Paul. I mean, Ron Paul was a lighter version of this, but he had it right. Yeah, and I mean, I'll never forget Ron, you know, and Rudy Giuliani up on stage, just totally trying to hammer Ron Paul in a debate. I mean, he treated him so poorly; it was just, it was unbelievable how disrespectful they were. And yet, Ron was right. So, how do you think this is all going to play out? And and I'll add a question to that so you can have the context for it. Most sure. people listening are going to be like, okay, I get it. What the fuck do I do? Like, what the fuck do I do? That's yeah. most people are thinking, what the yeah. fuck do I do? Like, how are you preparing? Yeah, so so this is an easy one. I mean, I, I think, you know, any individual, you look at the world, you look at how broken it is, and you say to yourself, why do I care? You know, what, what, what can I do? How can I make a difference? And I think we all make a difference, right? I really do believe that. Um, it's kind of our God-given right, and that's we're all here for some reason. And so my, my belief is probably the number one job is spreading the word. Um, you know, that, that it's important to, to tell family, to tell friends, to, you know, buy Safe's book and give it away, to, you know, to educate, to educate. Because what's going to change the world is a quorum of people understanding that it's broken and demanding the change. 
And that's what's always done it in the past. And, you know, the American Revolution is a good example. I mean, there were a lot of people who were loyalists, but there was a small group who were really pissed off and ready to fight about it. And that's, and that's us, right? So I think, I think education and spreading the word is job number one. That's why I do this. That's why I travel. That's why, you know, I volunteer for all this stuff because I want to spread the word. You know, I, I don't need the money of Bitcoin going up. I'm, I'm fine, right? And, and by the way, it's working. I mean, I'm sitting in Zurich, you know, at this show, and I walk out into the lobby, and some guy about my age walks up and goes, are you Lawrence? Yeah. yeah. Who are you? And he says, I've seen you on Twitter. Oh, my God, man, it's so nice to meet you. I'm like, well, okay, yeah, give me your background. He says, I'm a captain for United Airlines. I, threw, I flew the 767 from Chicago last night, right? <laughs> you know, I'm just, on a, I'm just on a layover. But, you know, me and all my buddies, we're all Bitcoiners. We're all sound money people. We watch you guys on Twitter, blah, blah, blah. Right? And I'm like, holy shit, here's an airline captain who fucking gets it, right? And, and so, you know, it, so it's, it's making a difference, right? And, and then the, the, the alternative to that is how you prepare is, you know, you get your life in order, right? I mean, and, and, and you work, as Jeff says, and I love Jeff, I think his, his message is so beautiful. You work to make the world a better place. You work on what you can work on to make the world a better place in terms of spreading the word on Bitcoin, building Bitcoin-related things. Whatever your role is, you try to advocate. You look at this thing and you say, this is better than what we've got. And I'm an optimistic person and I want to see a better world. I don't want to focus on that old broken world, except insofar as I'm going to punch him in the face, <laughs> which, you know, I do. <laughs> and, and, and I want to see a better world. And that's where I'm going to go. And I'm going to try and spread the word on that. Obviously, personally, at a, at a, at a micro level, you know, I think everybody needs to own some Bitcoin. I mean, the only wrong allocation is zero. And people, you know, even old people need to have 1% to 5% of their assets in Bitcoin. You know, they can afford to lose 1% to 5% of their assets, right? And, um, you know, and, and so everybody chooses their level based upon the risk tolerance that they have. You know, and you, you got you to rec- recognize it. If you have 5% and it goes down 50%, that's not great, but it will come back because it's a system that's built to endure. So, um, obviously, I advocate for gold, too. But, you know, it, it's... And I, and I advocate for kind of preparedness because I think, you know, we will be going through some societal tumult. I mean, if you read the history of general fourth turnings, I mean, there, you know, some bad shit could happen, right? There's a guy who's just written a book that's just come out that I think he says we're in a fourth turning. I saw that on oh, Twitter oh, this morning. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so Neil Howe, Howe and Strauss wrote it. Strauss passed away. Howe is still around. He's a consultant. Um, he's writing a follow-up to the book. Oh, and cool. it's supposed to come out this summer. Yeah, that I think the new title is like this is the fourth turning. Yeah, and and I'm I'm hoping he has some predictions about kind of where it goes. I mean, the difficult part of fourth turnings is they're very unpredictable. You just don't know. You know, is China going to attack Taiwan? You know, are we going to get into a shooting war? You know, there there's so many you know kind of gotchas and black swans. We we don't know how it's going to unfold. But I I think the issue of this fourth turning is Keynesianism and sound money. Yeah, at its at its base at its core level. I mean, I find it amazing to me that people in Washington fight over, you know, pronouns and vaccines and I mean all the other crazy shit they fight over, and they're just missing the very obvious obvious problem, which is the money problem. Yeah, but isn't I mean, it because we it's broke a dis- the money? <laughs> it's a distraction from that problem, which they are the beneficiaries. That's correct. That's correct. I mean, to 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 address that problem would address their you know they benefit from the problem. Yeah, look over here. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Look at these guys. Let's come over here, and why don't you yeah. and he fight? Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. Give, and I'm going right. to steal your fucking money from Meanwhile, you. I'm going to steal your fucking money. And I mean, the one that really blows my mind recently, it's really got to be in my bonnet because she's my senator from Massachusetts, is, is Warren. I mean, Elizabeth yeah. Warren has a $60 million net worth. How I know. the fuck did that happen? Really? And also, like historically, she was great. I mean, the way she grilled Mnuchin, 
Yeah. Was brilliant. The way she, she she actually was anti-bank for a while. Yeah. Yeah. And now she's one of them. Yeah, she's flipped. Yeah, yeah and yeah. I don't get it. I don't either. I mean, I don't get it. I don't it's like either. I liked her. I used to like her. Yeah, what I, did you I agree. Say I mean, there, you know, there are some there are some liberals that actually have part of the piece right. I mean, you look at a guy like Bernie Sanders, who's a socialist and you know, arguably a communist, but he does understand how broken it is. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? And and actually, he's a guy who I think is less bought than some of the others, but. You know, to me, there's there's common. In fact, I was talking to a guy last night at your event. There's common cause between some liberals and and Bitcoiners. I mean, it's not as though all conservative people are Bitcoiners. I mean, it's you know, the the world is broken at many many levels, and I believe that sound money is the solution. Well, I think we we have this growing base of uh, uh, liberal Bitcoiners coming into space. Right. You know, and uh, we had a great conversation yesterday with Bradley Rettler. He said like. Yeah, yeah. There was a period of time if you were a liberal in Bitcoin, you thought you were the first. And then when Trey Walsh came along, he knew he wasn't the first. Right. <clears throat> but there's a number of them. And you know, this they've got their own telegram groups and they've oh, got really? their Twitter groups. And, and you know, they might have their conferences soon. And what it is is that they recognize something's broken, but they also recognize the lie that's being told to the poorest in society. Yes. That the Liberals tend to talk about that they care about most. You know, the wealth gap is unfair. We should have free education, free wealth, fair. But they now, because they understand the money, they understand, look, I want to live in a progressive, accepting, tolerant society, but the money part, we have fucked that bit up. They get that now. And so that's great, because what we now is have an army of people who can actually talk to the people who they align with. Yes. You know, you yes. don't want a, a guy in a cowboy hat from... Texas, an oil man he telling... He's not going to sell a liberal. Yeah, he's not going to sell a liberal from San Francisco. <laughs> no, no. But a liberal from San Francisco can sell a liberal from San Francisco. Well, that's Francisco. the point. That's, and that's me and gold, right? Yeah. I mean, I, you know, I can actually take a gold guy, because I am a gold guy, and orange pill him more easily than, you know, than Michael Saylor, who calls gold the enemy. <laughs> you know, yeah. yeah, well, Michael Saylor has his own incentives. Fair enough, and and yeah. and I think he's backed off that a little bit, and I, you know, he's brilliant. And I love him, so yeah. he's, he's done a lot for the cause. Um, but I, and and ultimately, there there can only be one. There's no doubt. But you know, in the interim, I think the big enemy is the fiat masters. You know, and and that's that's really what's broken society. And I want to see society get fixed. I mean, mm. I, I want this country to be like it was when I was growing up. I mean, it wasn't perfect. We were fighting the Vietnam War, but it was a lot better country than it is today. I mean, the you know the chairman of Ford lived down the street from us, and you know he made six times what the guy on the line makes. You know, the chairman of Ford today makes twenty million bucks a year. You know, um, I mean, there was there was some sense of equality and fairness throughout the you know the income spectrum, right? Yeah. Um, well, listen, I don't want to take up all your time because I've got some questions for you tonight. <laughs> oh, okay. Whatever. Yeah, we want to save like? a little bit for tonight, okay. and we also want to record a little bit separately for we want to do. Uh, we've got a question for you from Jeff, but that's, we're going to do that for our Patreon. Okay. I want to say thank you, firstly, coming oh, all you. the way to Bedford here for doing this. Oh, it's an honor. I told you, I was, I was delighted to come. I, I think was, you're going to love tomorrow. It was really nice that you invited me. I'm really looking forward to it. I think what you've done with this team is so so exciting. It's great stuff. Well, you wait you wait till tomorrow. It's oh, really? going to be wild. Yeah, uh, yeah. It's going to be such a great experience, but I do want to thank you. Oh, you're most we've welcome. We've got a big night tonight, and uh, yeah, hopefully we'll get you back here next year. When Anytime. Hopefully we'll won another league. Fingers crossed. We'll also be down in Miami, so I'll see you down there. Yeah, definitely. Thank you. Thanks a lot. All right, come on now. How good is Larry? And listen, if you are not following him on Twitter, get out there, follow him. He's an absolute savage. He is hilarious. I absolutely love this guy. He was so cool to have him over here in Bedford. He also has so much experience in the markets, way more than any of us listening to this show. And you know what? I trust and appreciate what he has to say. So honestly, it's great to have him back. It was great to think about gold again. I am a Bitcoiner, but I'm always thinking about getting a little bit of gold. Never 
ever stepped over the line, but I'm getting closer. Anyway, listen, I hope you enjoyed this one. If you've got any questions about this or anything else, you know where you can get hold of me. It's hello at whatbitcoindid.com, and I will see you all in Miami very soon.